Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webinar from our Visionary Science Practice. Today's event is titled, A Visionary Perspective of the Impact of Digital Transformation on the Global Agricultural and Nutrition Industry. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost and Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefings. Before we begin, I'd like to go over a few notes. We will have some detailed slides on this presentation, so there is a full screen feature available in the lower right-hand corner of your webinar player. You can safely share this briefing at any time via social media, email, or blogs. Today's discussion will also be available on demand shortly after we finished. And don't forget to submit your questions throughout the session today. Our presenter is Christopher Shanahan, Global Director of Agricultural and Nutrition here at Frost & Sullivan. Christopher has over 10 years experience in advanced data analysis, futurism, project management, consulting, and market research engineering, among other, other industries. His bio can be viewed on your screen at this time. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Christopher. Please begin. Thank you, Anna. Good morning, everyone, and good afternoon for those uh, joining on East of Me. My name is Christopher Shanahan, and I'm Global Director of our Visionary Science Team Agriculture Nutrition Research Practice. And today I'd like to present some of our most recent findings uh, from our study on the Internet of Things for Agriculture Nutrition uh, Market Applications. It's a very, uh, I would say it's a very interesting and um, innovative uh, deliverable that our uh, company has developed um, and definitely um, acknowledges the convergence between information technology, uh, the needs of farmers, and other technologies, both um, physical, mechanical, chemical, biological, converging um, to address the pressing needs of the industry today. Um, so first we'll go over a, uh, a brief overview of the uh, market um, quantifications, um, and then we'll um, dive into the key industry challenges that are um, facing the uh, key industry participants along the entire value chain um, from farm to fork. Uh, and then we'll um, take a, you know we'll take a few minutes to look specifically at different levels of the value chain, different nodes of the value chain. Uh, first, we'll look at precision agriculture technologies and current trends in smart ag. Then we'll look specifically at the needs of processing, food and beverage processing, um, and then um, the future um, with a specific focus on personalized nutrition and nutrigenomics as well. Uh, yes. The um, in, so in um, over the last couple of years, um, we spent a, a number of hours quantifying the demand for the in, in, industrial Internet of Things within the entire value chain from farm to fork, as stated. And and we're calling this market segment, uh, this opportunity space, the IoT for ag and nutrition market. Um, in 2017, we quantified this market at nearly 18 billion dollars globally. Um, includes both or all, all the various components of IoT, hardware, software, and platforms, and networking. And um, globally, um, this market um, is growing at a compound growth rate um, we're expecting at 9.2%. So it's increasing 
um, at a constant rate. We're at the um, mid, um, I would say, mid-level in terms of the adoption curve um, as well. So we're seeing constant growth uh, during this period um, in the in the growth stage. You know, in terms of industry participants, I mean, there's, you know, we're counting each and every company that operates in this marketplace who are users of potential users of IoT um, and includes farmers, uh, processors, logistics companies, and retailers, um, and of course all the variants um, within each of those categories. Across the entire value chain, the need is strong um, and growing every day, um, especially with the emergence of, um, well, you know, uh, new demands, um, new markets, and um, you know, in emerging countries, um, emerging economies, um, also with uh, more sophisticated end users demanding um, um, faster, quicker, more convenient delivery of their food and beverage products. And that cascades back all the way up to the value chain, those same strengths and needs. And then, of course, the hazards that are present in, in the entire value chain, whether it's uh, you know, food safety hazards um, or um, or other types of issues in terms of causing um, the system not to operate. And we'll talk more about that. Um, it, you know, the how critical it is to ensure and maintain a um, fully traceable, transparent, and optimal system um, is only growing every day and therefore driving the demand for digital technologies. You know, I already mentioned, you know, you know some of the key drivers key factors um, that we'll allude to uh, throughout this presentation is definitely um, the growing awareness for the need for improved food safety. You know, it, um, I, every week um, the, the number of uh, food breaches grows. Uh, maybe it's a consequence of better information, better journalism, uh, better uh, reporting of breaches in food safety, but nonetheless, um, consumers um, are um, aware of this and demanding that their food is cleaner, safer, um, and also, um, you know, you know, all the while ensuring that it tastes good um, and um, nutritious at the same time. All of this would require um, innovative technologies to get us over the top in terms of um, improving food safety and traceability in this market. You know, also, you know, the world, you know, despite some of the um, you know, the barriers um, that are, you know, prevalent today, um, especially within the last few years, uh, there still is increasing trade, um, global trade and the movement of food and beverage products across the world and the need for harmonized solutions, whether it comes from government or whether it comes from industry, is required to ensure that the system is operating efficiently, making sure that there's minimal food waste, that the food is going to where there's where it's needed most, um, and, um and no, no waste in terms of uh, over inventories, um, spoilage, um, you know, leakages in the system, et cetera. So all of that requires a degree of harmonization, which IoT brings to the table. Um, and of course, you know, I think, you know, and, and this is alludes to process industry, process manufacturing in general, but food and beverage manufacturing and agriculture and nutrition in general is a conservative industry sector. Um, it's so there is some. Um, continued need for building the awareness of the benefits of IoT solutions um, in specific operations within the value chain. Um, so, uh, and we're, we've seen this especially true in precision agriculture technologies um, 
and less so in other areas, but still prevalent across the entire uh, system. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to talk about some of the cool, well, I wouldn't say cool, but I mean, some of the interesting things that have occurred um, over the last year um, that is either driving the need for better IoT solutions in agriculture and nutrition applications or good examples of companies and organizations using IoT in this space. And I first I present this one. Clearly this is a, um, a vendor who probably does not have an IoT solution because they would have been able to prevent this event from occurring. As you can see here, um, this gentleman is delivering unpackaged meat through the front door of a grocery store, most likely an unsanitary uh, vehicle, uh, shopping cart. Now clearly, pictures and people saw this and it caused significant liability issues for the company, um, who the delivery company, the meat processor who delivered this. Of course, having a IoT solution to ensure, such as a sensor um, that is on the pack or on the container would have prevented um, this from occurring. Um, and um, so clearly, you know, despite the the availability and the awareness, there's still an, there's this is evidence that there is still an unmet need for awareness of the true benefits of IoT. But not, you know, but a lot of other folks have gotten it as well. Here's another interesting uh, bit from the news. This is from January um, in 2017, but uh, it's still present today. Um, <clears throat> Banana coin, it's a real thing. It's a Ethereum currency, blockchain-based currency that's uh, based on the, um, the available stock of bananas, specifically uh, Cavendish variety of bananas, and which are the bananas that we most people eat and buy at the grocery store, the standard commodity uh, product that is grown um, throughout the tropics. The, the uh, banana coin has um, identified a key situation, especially for those interested in speculation, that um, they understand that the banana is actually at risk from Panama disease. It's a disease that is threatening this specific variety of Cavendish, and, if, and it has the potential of eliminating the entire species of this specific banana, which would have a significant impact on the cost on available supply. So clearly specu speculators who are betting uh, that the disease will win in the end will definitely um, reap rewards from this. Um, and then the banana coin folks who actually say that they you can trade in your coin for an actual kilogram of bananas um, if you so desire. Um, you know, that, you know, so it's even, so I think what's interesting here is that what's different from this versus other um, uh, ether, ethereum currencies is uh, this is actually backed by a real commodity and could easily be replicated with other food agricultural commodities that are at risk of a significant supply issue um, in the future and could be a great opportunity. <clears throat> of course, you know, when we go downstream and apologize for not for the slides, <clears throat> Of course, um, probably what most people are aware of today is the impact of Amazon um, in the entire value chain. In the United States, they've acquired Whole Foods, uh, which is an organic, natural, um, 
national grocery store. Um, and, and it was their first step in establishing a true food and beverage uh, and consumer good uh, brick and mortar uh, footprint um, throughout the entire country. But they're not stopping there. Um, they're actually developing Amazon Go stores. Some of their there is some uh, beta stores in Seattle and others are opening in other parts of the country, which basically relies on um, cameras and sensors um, to uh, and um, prime <laughs> subscribers uh, to uh, basically have a cash cashier-less uh, grocery store. Consumers walk in, they scan their uh, app, much like the Starbucks app that many of you on the call have. Um, you walk in the store, you pick your goods out, you put it in your basket. The cameras, the sensors knows who is picking up what products when, and you pass by the door, and then your Prime account is automatically updated, um, and you're charged. Um, eliminating people from the you know from this um, you know removes the bottlenecks of cashier lines. Um, it um, it is being positioned in as a kind of a um, for luncheon. Uh, alternatives in big cities or, or as convenience stores. So definitely a um, – and, you know, what's great about this is that Amazon understands the power of IoT to solve a critical situation, and that's bottlenecks, um, you know, in, in the retail experience. Um, and, um, and, and that's essentially what IoT does for all industry participants in the value chain. Um, that is removing those bottlenecks and ensuring efficient uh, flow of goods, money, and information. And then finally, probably the uh, another common use and similar use um, among food processors is the application of IoT for optimal and optimized processing. You know, before um, and for centuries, um, no one sausage was was alike, um, even by producers as big as Tyson, the largest uh, meat producer in the world. Um, a chicken producer in the world. Every sausage that came out um, may have a different combination of fat and meat and protein and other ingredients that was not measurable. And that has an impact on the quality of each good coming through the system. And that can have a negative impact on um, the continued use by end users if they find that there's a lot of variability um, in the quality of their products. They've just recently um, within the last few years, adopted a um, IoT solution for their processing, which they can measure and actually add in um, specific amounts of fat and ensure that all the flow rates, the temperatures are optimized to ensure that every single sausage is exactly the same. Of course, um, having standardization and processing is not a new idea. It's definitely one that's probably most prevalent across the major tier one food processors. But to think that even the big guys are still adopting these technologies um, is just a is very telling that um, there's still definitely room for growth for technology providers in this space. And and again, I mean, I th you know going back to what I stated before, you know the. You know, the biggest challenge in food processing and in the agriculture nutrition space in general is um, the problem of an open system where there's a lot of leakages. There's a lot of uh, hazards being produced. There's a lot of waste being produced. All of these occur at processing points and transition points in the processing. You know, it could come from raw material 
comes through logistics, it goes through the door, and each transfer, each transition from one node to the next is an opportunity for a hazard to be produced or waste to be produced. Um, and, and that is waste and hazards drives cost, um, you know, and it pushes down profitability for farmers. It constrains the profits of processors, and it makes consumers pay more for the food that's readily available had this had the system been more efficient. And what IoT does is, you know, leveraging hardware, software, and, a, you know, a platform, a network and a platform, is able to ensure that it can identify and close those uh, leaks um, before they occur um, in many cases, or as they occur, um, in order to minimize uh, waste and damage. And, and it, and, you know, and IoT is very much, you know, it's not just a sensor. You know, it's, it's a combination of hardware, software, platform that is optimized to do something, and also the tools and the equipment in the production process uh, that will take the instructions of, of the system and, and to act appropriately, continuously, um, in, you know, in the manner desired by the end user. Um, and so we see applications throughout the entire value chain, whether it's in logistics, uh, whether it's within the plant, outside the plant, um, and even in our own mobile apps, um, you know, capturing our purchase history, capturing our taste and preferences um, in that app, all of that information is being collated and, and has the potential to inform the entire value chain on what to grow, what to process, what to sell, um, and to whom. Um, and, and that is the ultimate goal there. And with that IoT solution, there's no reason why all the industry participants in the value chain can participate or will benefit from that. So <clears throat> this chart um, looks at the, um, the $17 billion um, opportunity today, growing at 9.2% globally, and seg segments it by the, the levels of the value chain that we at Frost Sullivan evaluate. Um, you know, how we define the agriculture nutrition space. You know, it starts with agriculture, crop production, livestock production, um, and the precision and smart technologies and applications there. Today, that is the biggest opportunity space among the set, um, as you can see here, based on the fact that those are the tallest towers. Um, about $5 billion um, today um, in um, global sales um, in terms of hardware, software, and these are you know, they, these and we'll get to this in a bit, includes everything from um, hydrospectral imaging um, that feeds, um, you know, d uh, data analytical and decision-making uh, software sensors and uh, sensor networks in the field, whether they're chemical-based, biological-based, or mechanical and digital-based, all feeding, um, you know, the farmer's need for information. This information as well is used by upstream participants, including processors, so basic food pr production or beverage production. Complex food production is, uh, you know, the difference between basic and complex is, um, you know, in basic processing, you're pretty much just processing raw material into more useful uh, raw ingredients, such as taking soybeans and making <clears throat> protein and flour out of it. We're taking uh, grain and making flour um, from it. Complex <clears throat> processing is um, taking those ingredients and making uh, consumer-ready foods like bread, cake, um, and beverages and the like. 
Um, the, we're, we are seeing a rapid adoption of um, IoT solutions at this level of the value chain um, for operations um, efficiency purposes and also for traceability. More, traceability being the primary driver um, in that. Um, and that is driven by grocers, uh, grocery stores, food retailers who are demanding, in many cases, are the regulatory enforcement of clean food, traceable food, um, and, um, you know, insured safety foods using um, technologies um, and IoT solutions that's backwards uh, connected and interoperable uh, with their value chain um, industry participants. You know, every industry um, is going to be different in terms of the amount of hardware, um, networking, and software um, that's required to solve the solution. Um, and in process manufacturing, the need for hardware, especially when you have a lot of pumps and mixing, uh, and conveyor belts and tubes, um, vehicles, uh, requires a lot of individual sensors and hardware that is able to capture and record and transmit information um, to a, you know, to the central um, processor. Um, so hardware is, um, from our estimates, um, the largest segment of the market today um, at nearly $10 billion, $9.9 billion in 2017, um, likely surpassing $10 billion in 2018. Um, it is the slowest growing segment, though, because, um, you know, hardware adoption is correlated to uh, capital expenditure, um, and we expect th that hardware adoption is definitely the first um, you know, the first things you would adopt in an IoT solution and um, for your given plant or for your given operation. And one thing I would like to note is many industry participants, what we found when we were conducting this research, you know, sometimes they will adopt a brand new IoT enabled, you know, all the bells and whistles in one system, you know, if you've got a greenfield opportunity, you know, if you can start something from scratch. But in process manufacturing, it's quite difficult to just shut down an operation and then start anew, you know, get a new systems integrator. So the adoption of IoT solutions is evolutionary. You know, first you buy components, you buy your initial set of sensors uh, for certain levels or, or certain points in your production process or in the value chain where there is the highest degree of need, most hazards, most waste, et cetera. And then over time, you interconnect those systems to your um, new equipment, and over time, you evolve into a more, um, you know, uh, tech-enabled operation. That takes time. Um, so we expect that the adoption of hardware is definitely going to be first in that system so you can get the, you know, get that equipment in place. And then with new networking, new uh, technologies, and new software capabilities, that will grow in the long run as well, which is why we see stronger growth in software and into the future, too take the current base of capital and make it better operating um, with better software. You know, again, you know, this $17 billion global IoT market is actually quite a drop of in a bucket in the terms of the market that we are um, really addressing. The entire agriculture nutrition value chain is $20 trillion in combined value generation per year globally. That is the combined revenue of all the key industry participants that's represented in these uh, nodes in this value chain. 
from ag input suppliers, chemical suppliers, seed suppliers and traits to the farmers and all the way to the consumer. Uh, well, the consumer sales, of course, uh, retail sales. So there's a lot of, um, well, there's a lot of, it's a big part of the economy um, and there's a lot at stake and a lot of it's at risk um, of um, breaches. And um, so th again, just to, I, I suppose to just drill home the fact that this is a big, massive um, industry which has a potential, you know, to have catastrophic um, consequences if, you know, if there's a certain need that could be addressed with an IoT solution is left unmet. You know, if I was to consolidate and summarize the three big drivers or growth factors of any market in the agriculture and nutrition value chain, it could be summarized into these three categories. Um, and it's just because it's the nature of food. Um, you know, first, um, you know, everybody eats. We have to know that. So population and population dynamics and population megatrends and how people are moving and using and how much money they are making um, all ultimately determines, you know, what we grow and what we produce, uh, what, you know, what we raise. Um, um, so socioeconomic drivers and impacts has a major impact. That includes everything from taste and preferences to, you know, rapid economic development, emerging regions. All of this has an impact on the um, the shape and the operations and the efficiency of the system that we just looked at in the prior slide. And each of those nodes as well, you know, has the same challenge as well. They have a need for resource efficiency. I, as I stated earlier, profits are small in agriculture and nutrition markets for the most part, uh, the primary products. You know, so there is a strong need for optimizing and maximizing yield and minimizing cost. Um, and when you have an open system um, that is, you know, uh, you know, with leak waste, with leakages, with the potential for hazards and potential liabilities, um, that's definitely not an efficient system. Um, so there's always a need from the farmer to the retailer for adopting technologies that ensures and maximizes yield, and IoT uh, delivers on that. And in this entire system, and what's making it more difficult to maintain its operations is changing taste and preferences of the individual consumer. And, and specifically what I mean is the growing demand for healthier food. Of course, cleaner and healthier food is in the eye of the beholder, but typically it means products that are free of um, chemicals potentially in the final product, that utilize, that's friendly to the environment, that is um, healthy to the consumer um, and healthy to the environment um, as well, and morally and ethically um, produced as well. Um, all of these requires checks and balances um, in the value chain and requires um, a need for some system to be able to capture the state of this system continuously over time and space, um, which is what an IoT solution delivers. You know, focusing specifically more on um, food waste, you know, I can't stress this enough. I, you know, um, I always like to tell people that, you know, we do produce enough food to feed everyone in the world. 
there's enough calories produced by farmers throughout the entire world to feed everyone if we had to. Um, but the problem is, is it's a highly complex system um, resulting in a lot of leakages. There's no, and, and it's to be expected. I mean, you have food is spoiled, you know, you can't store it for very long, um, you know, and, um, you know, when you're price driven, you know, economy, um, you know, you're going to send the most um, independent of the possible externalities, negative externalities that may be produced in that system. Consequently, according to the um, Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, um, about 30 to 40 percent of the food produced globally per year is wasted. 30 to 40 percent. Um, that's a big number. Um, you know, and it's, you know, it includes everything from, you know, grains falling off the truck, you know, um, or being, uh, you know, uh, utilized, you know, or just spoiled in warehouses um, to even final consumers throwing away their last piece of bread or not eating their pizza crust. Um, all of that is considered waste. Now, of course, changing consumers is much more difficult to do in their habits than it is for industry participants as well. And they, they have the added motivation to minimize waste because they know that that directly impacts profitability. <clears throat> now, you know, um, the where we see the, you know, the first movers um, in the value chain, really, in terms of addressing the problem of food waste, you know, that key challenge, trying to optimize and make sure you're trying to feed everyone, really starts at the farm. Um, and even before the farm, you know, there's a role for chemical suppliers, for seed and trait suppliers and um, <clears throat> fertilizer producers. There's role for farmers um, and also the agricultural equipment providers to help start that system um, in order to remove and minimize any waste that occurs on the farm <clears throat> as well. So in order to really enhance and optimize resource, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of interesting new technologies in crop and seed technologies, um, so genetically modified um, seeds and traits, which requires um, digital technologies to a, to able to simulate um, the genomes of a variety of plants um, and even animals um, to grow in certain conditions. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. Um, of course, there is um, growing demand for clean and organic crops, and you know the challenge there is while you can sell those crops at a higher price um, to consumers willing to pay. Um, typically, the yield on that's much lower because um, farmers aren't don't have the good best practices in developing these crops that are most in demand by consumers. So it takes time, it takes effort, um, and possibly a digital technology solutions can definitely deliver um, some insights there um, from the consumer side. And of course, there's precision agriculture technologies um, that um, really drives um, that that we'll explore in more detail but it's really um, solely focused on ensuring that the farmer's um, resources are optimized um, and also yields are maximized. <clears throat> you know, just thinking more about precision agriculture technologies, um, we did find um, that there is a correlation between the, the perceived value of the crop 
and the probability or the likelihood that the farmer will adopt precision agriculture technologies in the field. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot of variance across countries um, that can be controlled. For example, in the United States, maize and soybean um, are dominant um, crops um, and included in the non-cereal crop here. Um, and those are highly industrialized, highly um, sophisticated growing operations, typically, um, but not in 100% of the case. Um, but there is, um, you know, there's still room for there. But in general, the United States has pretty sophisticated um, crop production technologies and are leaders in the adoption of precision agriculture technology, such as sensors, hydrospectral imaging, um, variable rate technologies, et cetera, uh, to really ensure that farmers in the United States are maximizing their uh, potential profits. Japan's also a leader. Australia is also a leader, which isn't represented here um, on this chart, but also leaders in the adoption of precision agriculture technologies. But we do see that even in countries that, you know, even controlling for that variance, um, you know, if you're growing or if you have orchards, you know, if you're growing green vegetables, if you're growing fruits, um, you know, and, uh, and even livestock um, as well, the need for precision agriculture technologies is even greater. Um, the per unit value of that shipment is much greater. Um, and they have their own risks um, as well. Um, there's, there's a big difference between maize and soybean versus um, trying to ensure you can deliver your apples or your berries, which are typically much more sensitive, um, especially in the value chain as well. So ensuring that, that those products are cool, safe, clean, and, uh, and shipped without bruising and impacting its quality in the value chain ensures that all the industry participants in the value chain are optimizing and maximizing their profitability. So we, we do have a um, dedicated report specifically on precision agriculture technologies, but we also address it in our most current report as well on the Internet of Things for Agriculture and Nutrition. And in this study, we have a, a very detailed uh, summary of all the various technologies um, that are, you know, considered uh, a part of the precision agriculture technology ecosystem. And it includes the same things that we talked about before, software, hardware, the communication or networking, uh, and others such as, um, you know, these are more futuristic like cloud computing or machine-to-machine -machine, uh, communication, artificial intelligence, which were still very much early stages, uh, pre-commercialized stages in most cases in a growing operation. Uh, but, you know, service requirements is also um, very important in precision agriculture. Um, ecosystem as well. Um, and I think this is, it, this really has to do with the fact that, you know, a lot of farmers, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure they would admit it as well, may not have the technical background to use these systems right off or right away. And that's a barrier to adoption. Um, they may not adopt these technologies because they don't know how to use it. However, what they will do, they do see the value of these technologies and they will look to third-party service providers who are experts in the use and the installation of these systems, the monitoring of these systems, and um, even acting, um, you know, by responding. Um, what we call farm management, um, farm management service providers 
you know, they'll come on the farm and um, provide farmers, you know, indirectly through a service model, um, the IoT solution most needed by the farmers. So, so clearly, you know, you know where, where we where we see a more rapid adoption at this level of the value chain is among service providers who are serving a large field of farmers. Um, farmers, of course, will adopt technologies in the uh, in the long run, like 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 they've always done, but it will. All, require continued effort from agricultural extension company uh agriculture extension organizations within universities precision agriculture companies such as like uh, the equipment manufacturers like john deere caterpillar um, and others and again you know in in, in our system i mean there's there's a lot of different examples. I mean, it, you know, I think um, probably the most disruptive precision agriculture technologies that we've been tracking has been um, high throughput plant phenotyping. You know, I kind of mentioned that before. Um, really um, leveraging laboratory to find those traits that are, and trying to do it as fast as possible in time for the next growing season that adjust for drought, that adjust for lack of um you know, low quality soil, low organic content in soil, um, and other, you know, historical um, challenge, well, constraints on the yield of any plant. Um, you know, that's where we see a, a rapid adoption of in, interesting digital technologies that's going to be directly used on the farm, you know, in the next growing season. Data analytical solutions is still disruptive at this time, um, but, but of course, I would say it's probably been in the market. Um, you know, available to farmers the longest. Um, fun fact, um, operations research developed by the military, U.S. military, um, leveraging, math, you know, linear algebra, was put into software using the military first, but then the first adopters outside of the military were farmers um, who recognized the benefits of using uh, data analytics um, to um, hedge you know, to, you know, optimize their plant, planting, um, and, you know, project where demand will be and set prices accordingly. Um, so very, very interesting application there. That was before other industry applications really took up operations research. Of course, there's other technologies that's been highly disruptive. GPS is, of course, it could remain unstated, but the impact of GPS on the ability to monitor fields from above to see where there's issues using hydrospectral or multispectral imaging um, has been um, transformational, um, especially in uh, U.S. agriculture um, and really, yeah, um, truly global agriculture, um, really. In the future, you know, um, you know, we we have seen drones. Drones are cheaper now, unmanned aerial vehicles. Um, we're seeing much more rapid adoption. Regulations are still catching up um, to that. Um, um, for that technology, for it to see rapid utilization and adoption, and these unmanned aerial vehicles, you know, looking at the fields or sensing the, um, you know, using hydrospectral imaging to get a sense of the temperature or the quality of the soil. But in the future, don't it, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, I don't think anyone on the call would be surprised that soon they will be the laborers picking the berries, picking the fruit, harvesting um, from above. We call them uh, farm bots, um, an army of farm robots. So, so moving on, um, you know, 
agriculture is not the only application for IoT, clearly. Um, there's many, many different um, applications as well, um, especially within food processing. And uh, quickly, um, you know, some of the specific opportunities within food processing um, include, um, you know, the need for um, a harmonized food safety system. Over the last several decades, you know, governments throughout the world have been trying to harmonize um, food safety standards. The European Union got it done. Um, it's somewhat aligned to Japanese food safety uh, regulations, some less aligned to United States and Canada, which has its own system, uh, but still, you know, you know, still interpretable. Uh, but the future of harmonized food safety information is likely not going to come from regulators. It's not going to come from government. Um, it, it must come from industry. Um, to and, and the motivating factor will have to come from the fact that you're delivering value in terms of maximizing profits. You know, that's the incentive for, you know, in the past, you know, uh, harmonization was costly, you know, because you're trying to comply to government regulations that may or may not take into account um, business operations. But but I do feel that with IoT, you can achieve harmonization um, by having a common language throughout the entire value chain across countries because um, all the industry participants have the same primary objective, maximizing value, which I think is kind of missing in harmonized food safety traceability regulations um, in um, past iterations. Of course, big data analytics is, a, and I would say um, artificial intelligence is an extension of this, is clearly um, a big opportunity here in food processing and food manufacturing. You know, in the case of Tyson, um, you know, a long time, they, haven't, they weren't able to control the temperature, the fat content, the protein content of any given unit of sausage they produced. Um, with big data analytics, if their raw material, and it's primarily due to the fact because their raw materials comes in that highly varies. Sometimes, um, you know, different, you know, different uh, livestock has different um, makeup. You know, of, you know, some are fatter, some are uh, lighter, some have different types of nutrition. You know, some were fed on corn versus uh, animal feed. Um, so all, that'll all have an impact on the nutrition uh, content of the uh, final product as one example. But with big data analytics, they can control for that. You know, you can move and adjust the operations, um, you know, in a um, continuous fashion. Uh, so I think there's a great deal of opportunity there. You know, big area, uh, one last point I'd like to bring on this um, is um, rapid detection. You know, um, in the past, food safety breaches were much more common. Um, actually, I'm... You know, I don't have this in this document, but you can see a clear correlation between the um, the um, the adoption of these um, food safety and detection technologies with the rise the the number of instances of food safety breaches recorded by the, the for example the USDA or the FDA. Um, you can see these types of positive correlations, um, and now um, companies from pharma from um, IoT um, or ICT applications <clears throat> as well, and um, well, especially sensor producer uh, sensor producers, uh, chemical and biological sensor producers, understands that rapid detection method methods is really a key need to really try to identify. I mean, essentially, 
the breach before it breaks, um, you know, by identifying foreign DNA um, in um, a batch of food in, um, or um, using biosensors um, or, um, you know, rapid, you know, technologies that can do quality assurance rapidly. And it's not just for safety either. It's also in the case of Tyson to ensure quality. You know, it's not just, you know, it's not just safety breaches, but, you know, these rapid detection methods, I mean, if you could control and standardize quality before you see the issue, then you had you minimize the uh, the opportunity of producing a lot of wasted um, product um, or suboptimal product that you may have to sell at a lower price. Ah, so the future, and the future is kind of now, and you'll see. There's a lot of companies already doing this, but. You know, now that we've gone past processing and, you know, we did talk about retail a bit, you know, with the Amazon case, I think, you know, really where there's a big final frontier is consumer technologies. In order to capture their taste and preferences, either consciously or even subconsciously or based on their biological need that's sensed, um, you know, with uh, body sensors, wearables, smart sensors, uh, to... Um, deliver a personalized solution um, to the consumer. Mass customization is what we call this trend. Um, and this is just a, um, a version of mass customization that we're seeing across all industries. So personalized nutrition is generally used interchangeably with nutrigenomics um, at this time. I, these are two discrete um, topics, but you, know, you, you do tend to hear in, you know, folks kind of interchange. But it is the study of how genes and nutrition interacts. That's, you know, and, and the idea is that, well, if we understand the genes and we can monitor the biological processes of individual um, people, then this information can be compiled and sent to, you know, um, perhaps a fulfillment center um, that can, um, or um, a food company um, or, or another organization that can make a uh, meal kit or make a food product or deliver food products that will uh, get you back to where you need to be your benchmark. You know, for example, um, you know, suppose that this individual here um, has um, high cholesterol and they ate a lot of uh, meat and dairy over the last month and their LDL cholesterol levels is rocketed. It changed significantly in the last month. This information could be sensed, you know, with a wearable, um, technologies we already have, you know, um, but this information could be sent directly to an organization like, you know, uh, Amazon or any food company or uh, and the like. They'll see that and they will ship apples to you right away um, to try to get that fiber and to ship foods high in phytosterols, send maybe even phytosterol food supplements, um, you know, if they're using a, you know, a um, dietary supplement solution to help control for your nutritional needs, um, you know, again, that could be delivered in one day, and then the user can use it um, immediately to try to get back to on course, without the user even having to think about it. You, they don't need to test, you know, that they need LDL. They don't need to go to the doctor to get it verified. They don't need a prescription for whatever. But they'll just be automatically in the system and using a controlled, personalized nutrition. Uh, well, I guess subscription or regimen, um, they will have optimal food when they need it. 
a lot of industry participants are clearly already doing this. Um, you know, we see big companies like Campbell Foods and Nestle and Samson and BASF, among others, who are already looking at these um, the potential opportunities of partnering with technology companies um, and leveraging their core capabilities in order to ensure that they are first movers in the personalized nutrition space. Um, clearly, companies that are technology-enabled already and that have a wide physical and digital network, companies like Amazon um, or others, you know, will be, you know, could move faster in this. But what they miss, what they're missing is that institutional knowledge of, you know, food science uh, by, you know, and, and uh, genetics um, and genetic science and really trying to ensure, and, you know, that, that, you know, really that understanding of, how can these food companies deliver food products that are most needed by the end users? It's going to be a very interesting um, development over the next several years. We expect to see some really interesting uh, models, new business models in the marketplace um, in the coming years after, you know, um, in the next five to 10 years. Some will be uh, subscription-based. Some will be, um, you, know, uh, you know, similar to what, you know, I, I don't know if some of you guys on the call may have a, Kroger account where you just click list it um, um, and then you, you know, go pick up your groceries or they deliver your groceries. But, you know, taking the consumer choice and, you know, I think the big barrier is definitely going to be consumers wanting to, you know, take, let their decision being made by someone else based on their biology as opposed to based on their heart and mind. So that's going to be an interesting barrier. Yeah, no, and and you know some of the key challenges again, um, just to re, you know just to reiterate what we found is um, you know personalized nutrition currently means you know different things to different people. So I think in you know what we need now is official uh, definition and segmentation. Um, you know we there, personalized nutrition solutions are provided by service providers who see who has the vision of putting the food and the genetics and the monitors and the technology together into an optimal uh, platform. Um, but I do think that um, ingredient manufacturers, you know, or food producers who have the product that really delivers the true value of what the consumers want will become the dominant market players in this space in the long run. I think there's also a requirement for, you know, clear regula regulations um, and direction from regulators. Um, it remains to be seen how personalized nutrition market will evolve um, with regards to regulation. Um, there could be a need uh, for some, you know, food producers, novel ingredient producers in Europe or elsewhere throughout the world, um, you know, to impact, you know, harmonization. You know, maybe this is going back to the story of harmonization. Maybe it's not a government thing, but, you know, must come from industry. And then, of course, the cost versus benefits analysis. Um, you know, this is um, a premium idea, a premium product in this case. You know, um, and an analog I'm thinking of is like uh, meal kits, you know, such as companies like Blue Apron um, or among others. You know, um, their target market is definitely those who can afford to, um, you know, uh, pay for these meal kits in exchange for convenience and time savings. Um, here, clearly, the target is going to be not only time and convenience savings, but also those with the highest concern for their own personal health 
and the health of their families. Um, those will be the first mover adopters of personalized nutrition. So finally, um, some key takeaways from our research in the Internet of Things for um, agriculture nutrition market. There's a lot of great opportunities in this space, a $20 trillion market. Um, you know, and um, there's, um, I mean, at the final end market, 17 billion um, technology growing at 9.2% to reiterate. Um, so it's, it's going to be, it's a substantial market space um, and has a great potential for many different types of industry participants, software suppliers, hardware suppliers, and food producers to um, be first movers in this space and really um, carry it to maturity. There are challenges in the way. I think, again, I noted this several times that harmonization is really critical here to ensure that this, these systems are truly uh, interoperable, maximized potential for all the systems. Um, and I think, um, you know, with current events, current socioeconomic events, political events, you know, um, the trust that regulators will get it done for us maybe is, maybe that shouldn't be as high as it used to be. But I do think that the need is still there, and I think there's an incentive for, for the industry to adopt these types of technologies uh, because they will achieve resource optimization um, in the long run uh, with the adoption, and, and that should convert to profitability. Um, and then uh, finally, um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I would say the next set of technologies, and I didn't really talk about much today, but we cover in our report and other research we have at Frost O'Sullivan is um, the role of video and artificial intelligence technologies um, in food processing, logistics, and even retail. We see prototypes, you know, the Amazon Go convenience stores. Um, we, see, we see prototypes in other industries as well, um, you know, using this combination of um, you know, it's basically a artificial head. It has the eyes, it has the nose, it has the brain, um, and it has the ears. And it processes sounds and and video and all other temper, you know, all other environmental drivers to help give a recommendation on a continuous basis to the machine. Um, and it learns. You know, it doesn't forget. You know, so that that will be um, something of interest. Um, in the industry, I think adoption of these technologies will be rather evolutionary, as I stated earlier in our discussion, but it will be um, very uh, much an um, um, interesting area to watch out for. So with that, I appreciate everyone's time today. Um, I know I kind of went, we have about five minutes. So I'll turn it back over to Anna for any comments or questions. Thank you, Christopher. Um, yes, I just kind of wanted to go over some quick next steps before we start a, a question and answer session. So if you'd like more information um, about joining our Leadership Council, um, please reach out to us. You can contact us at one 877 7678 or send us an email to myfrost at Also, your feedback is very important to us. So under the Rate This button, please provide any feedback comments or suggestions. And uh, also you can follow us on any of our um, social media uh, uh, sites here, LinkedIn, Twitter, to keep up to date on upcoming webinars and our growth, innovation, and leadership events. 
So uh, moving on to the questions here, Chris, I don't have any questions at this time from our audience. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to um, you'd like to add before we close the session out? We have about about four minutes. Well, we covered a lot of different topics today, um, and um, clearly we're open for feedback and comments and questions um, after today's call. I, I do want to note that we do have a uh, pretty extensive library of research that specifically looks at different levels of the value chain. Um, the report that we alluded to today is pretty extensive across the entire value chain to give that inclusive, holistic picture of the opportunity space for the Internet of Things in food processing, agriculture, and retail. Um, I'm, we're more than happy to uh, more than happy to get on a call or uh, talk to anyone and address any specific questions offline as well. We have, um, um, I guess, one last point. I guess I would also make is, um, you know, um, I, I don't think we're really done uh, with, um, you know, the IoT. I mean, I know we're in the growth stage, but I do feel that there will be a significant disruption um, in the food and beverage value chain in the future, whether it's politically motivated, economically social, that's going to um, require a technical solution indirectly or directly and i think that there's still some unmet needs there that could be addressed um, by key industry participants um uh because yeah i mean from from yeah just looking at the opportunity you know looking at the what's out there and the possible breaches and the possible issues that key industry participants currently face uh, wouldn't be un unheard of to you know to have a a serious issue that could have been addressed before. And also, uh, again, I, I stress again that personalized nutrition, I think, is really a hot area um, of growth. It's very much untapped, but, I, but their need for mass customization across all industries, not just food and beverage, um, is real. Consumers want goods and services that meet their exact needs. And Gen Z and millennials and younger generations will come to expect that. Um, so I think that, you know, those companies that are making moves today will likely be um, the innovators of tomorrow to address those needs. So with that, I appreciate everyone's time today. I look forward to any uh, feedback or thoughts. Um, and of course, um, this recording will be available to all participants or registrants. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for um, for everything here, Chris. And this concludes today's presentation. So as Chris mentioned, our contact details are on your screen at this time. And uh, we want to thank you again for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day.